What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Frank Geyer started his career with the City of Philadelphia Police Department on May 6, 1876, as a patrolman. In January 1888, he was promoted to detective and in 1894 was assigned a new case involving suspected insurance fraud by H. H. Holmes. This should have been a straightforward case, but as Geyer scratched the surface, he uncovered a lot more than he bargained for. Geyer later wrote a book about the case titled The Holmes-Peitzel Case, A History of the Greatest Crime of the Century, and of the search for the missing Peitzel children. I'll be using this book to tell you this part of the H.H. Holmes tale in the words of the police detective involved, using quotes throughout. The preface begins, quote, It is not possible to find in the annals of criminal jurisprudence a more deliberate and cold-blooded villain than the central figure in this story. Not would the most careful research among the records of the prominent murder trials that have absorbed public attention during the past century disclose the careful planning that made possible the apprehension of Holmes. The prosecution to an almost miraculous ending of the search for the missing children, or the equal of the forensic skill and cunning the wove to close the web, in which this man of many names and many murders was entangled.
The investigation started with a letter from Marion C. Hedgepath, who was incarcerated, awaiting sentencing for train robbery to the St. Louis Police Department, dated Tuesday, October 9, 1894, which read, Dear Sir, when H.M. Howard, and listeners, please note, this was another alias used by Holmes when he was in Missouri. When H.M. Howard was in here some two months ago, he came to me and told me he would like to talk to me, as he had read a great deal of me, etc. Also, after we got well acquainted, he told me he had a scheme by which he could make $10,000, and he needed some lawyer who could be trusted, and said if I could, he would see it that I got $500 for it. I then told him that J.D. Howe could be trusted, and he then went on and told me that B.F. Peitzel's life was insured, for $10,000, and that Peitzel and him were going to work the insurance company for the $10,000, and just how they were going to do it, even going into minute detail, that he was an expert at it, and he had worked it before, and that being a druggist, he could easily deceive the insurance company by having Peitzel fix himself up according to his directions, and appear that he was mortally wounded by an explosion, and then put a corpse in place of Peitzel's body, etc., and then have it identified as that of Peitzel. I did not take much stock in what he told me, until after he went out on bond, which was a few days. When J.D. Howe came to me and told me that a man Howard that I had recommended to him had come and told him that I had recommended Howe to him and had laid the whole plot open, and Howe told me that he never heard of a finer and more smoother piece of work and that Howard was one of the smoothest and slickest men that he had ever heard of, etc. The letter goes on to name the insurance company of Fidelity Mutual of Philadelphia, says that Howe kept him up to date with developments and confirmed that everything had gone smoothly. Fidelity Mutual had their own detective, Mr. Gary, who started to investigate the claims made in this letter. His conclusion was he, quote, he verily believed that the body was really Peitzel, and that Holmes had either murdered him or Peitzel had been killed in the explosion when setting up the job of substitution, end quote. After convincing Fidelity Mutual that he believed the claims by Hedgepith were true, the hunt for Holmes was on. The trail led them to Kingston in Canada, Detroit, Burlington, Tilton, and then to Gilmanton, where Holmes's parents lived. He was finally arrested in Boston on November 17, 1894. But he wasn't arrested for the insurance scams. Oh no. He was arrested for horse stealing, another of his criminal operations, in Fort Worth, Texas. And guess what? When Holmes was arrested, Holmes was in the company of his wife, yes, another one, Georgina Yoke, who believed that she was married to a Henry Mansfield Howard. While at the police station in Boston, Mr. Perry, a representative from Fidelity Mutual, attended, quote, Upon seeing Mr. Perry at the city police station, Mudgett, or Holmes, as we shall call him, threw up his hands and said he guessed he was wanted in Philadelphia by the Fidelity, and not in Fort Worth for the horse business.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Holmes was interviewed. He claimed that Peitzel was alive, that he was part of the scam, but that they had split the money and that they had used a cadaver to fool the coroner. He said he did take three of the children, but was just looking after them until they could all be reunited. As Hedgepath claimed that Benjamin Peitzel's wife, Carrie, had been in on the insurance scam, she was also arrested. She had been living in a rented house in Burlington, Vermont, with her baby and her 16-year-old daughter, Desi. Chapter 5 of Geyer's book starts, quote, Poor Miss Peitzel. What a wretched plight she was in. Her husband had disappeared. Alice, Nellie, and Howard were in unknown hands. And her other two children, Desi, her eldest daughter, and her year-old infant were without a protector, and she was in prison under suspicion of having been a party to a conspiracy to cheat and defraud the insurance company. Carrie was in shock. She genuinely believed her husband was still alive, and in an effort to protect him, she was not as truthful as she could have been in her initial interview with the police. She had been informed of the scheme from its inception, both by Holmes and her husband, and although at first she earnestly and sincerely advised against it, and pleaded with her husband not to join Holmes in such a nefarious piece of business. She ultimately acquiesced in it and was, quote, prepared for the disappearance of her husband for a time, in accordance with an understanding between them. When Howie paid to her her share of the money, about $7,200, she believed the plot had been successfully carried out, that her husband was alive and would ultimately disclose his whereabouts to her when prudent returned to his home. The book goes on to say, quote, She was leading a miserable existence in poverty with a large family of five children. She was in ill health and tied by marriage to a crook, a man whose instincts were low and criminal, much given to drinking alcoholic stimulants excessively, and who had been for years a close associate and companion of Holmes. As the insurance fraud was committed in Philadelphia, Holmes and Carey were transferred there for sentencing. While awaiting trial, Holmes dictated the following statement, quote, I contemplated defrauding the insurance company in August, or September 1893, in connection with Benjamin F. Peitzel. No one else was in the plot until July 1894. Miss Peitzel was then informed of it by Peitzel. About August 1st, on my release from jail in St. Louis, I outlined the conspiracy to Howie 
and showed him how I intended raising money to liberate Hedgepath from jail. I having told Hedgepath of it while in jail and agreed to raise $300 to help him out. Howie at that time had no idea of joining the conspiracy. I went from St. Louis to Chicago to raise some money there and went to New York where I got $600 from Minnie Williams. Listener note, you will remember that Minnie was one of the two sisters who disappeared and left homes, the property in Fort Worth. I then arranged with Peitzel that he should provide a retreat to stop at after the conspiracy was consummated and also to get his teeth altered. Leaving in New York, I came to Philadelphia to look for a house. I took part of number 1905 North 11th Street. Three days later, Peitzel came and took the house number 1316 Callow Hill Street, which he furnished partially with chemicals and bottles to represent a patent dealer. I visited this house, I think, four times, besides the day on which he died. I visited the last of August and stayed five or six hours. At that time, Peitzel was despondent. I found he had been drinking and took him to task for it. He remarked that he guessed he had better drink enough to kill him and have done with it. He borrowed $15 from me, and I left about 4 o'clock. To the best of my knowledge, I next saw him on the following Saturday, September 1st, at the Mercantile Library. And quite late that evening, he came to my house on North 11th Street and said he had received a telegram that his baby was sick and he had to go home. I said we had better arrange how his business should be run, and he told me he could get a party to come to the place. I raised no objection to his going. When he got the arrangements all made, he said, you will have to let me have some money to go with. I asked him where the $150 were that he told me he had a few days ago. He said, well, I haven't got it. I could not give him any at that time. This was about 9 o'clock in the evening. I promised to go down in the morning. But before leaving, we arranged that I should go in his place and take care of the sick baby and start the body there. The next morning, Sunday, about 10.30, I went to his house. I had been provided with a key to go in with. I found no one there, either on the first or the second floor, where his sleeping apartment was. He had a cop there, which I don't think he ever made up. I went over to the mercantile library and stayed there for about an hour, and then went up to Broad Street, where I had a private mailbox but did not get any mail, bought a morning paper, and went back to the Callow Hill Street house. I found no one there, and knew that no one had been there while I was away. I went upstairs and laid down on the cot and read the paper. It was probably 12 o'clock when I got back. After reading the paper for about half an hour, I went to his desk to write some papers, and found there was a scrap of paper with a figure cipher on it that we used, and it said, Get letter out of bottle and cupboard. I kept that piece of paper until in Toronto, where I used it in sending a cipher to Miss Peitzel and tried to imitate his figures. I got the letter, and it told me that he was going to get out of it and that I should find him upstairs, if he could manage to kill himself. I went upstairs and looked in the clothes press on the second floor, which was the only place I had not been on that floor. Not finding him there, I ran up to the third story, opened the door, I saw him lying on the floor, apparently dead. I felt his pulse and laid my hand on his and found it was cold. His eyes were partially closed. I then had to leave the room on account of the fumes of chloroform being so strong. I went and opened the window in the other room 
And then I came back and I started to go in, but I had to give it up and went to the second floor again. As soon as I could, I did go in again and I found that he was lying on his back with his left hand folded over his abdomen and his right hand lying on his side. I did not keep the letter, which was in the bottle, but I destroyed it with other papers the next day on the train going from Philadelphia to St. Louis. I removed the furniture from the third story room and took it to the second story, leaving the body until last. Then I brought the body down into the second story and arranged it the way it was found. This was around three o'clock. I had arranged with Peitzel that when he should place the substitute body, a bottle should be broken, which it was supposed that he had in his hand when the explosion occurred, and that the fragments should be scattered around the room. I held the bottle up and broke it with a blow of the hammer upon the side. The bottle contained bezine, chloroform, and ammonia, which was used for burning the floor to indicate an explosion had occurred. I took some of this fluid and put it upon his right hand and side, and on the right side of his face, and set fire to it. I then arranged the articles that he had taken from his pocket, putting them back again, and hung his vest in the second-story bedroom, and the coat in the first story where he had been in the habit of keeping it. I gathered together the rubber tube, towel, and a bottle of chloroform, and left the house as soon as I could, about a quarter of four. Holmes was called to trial on June 3, 1895, regarding the insurance fraud. After a strong first day, Holmes's counsel weakened on day two and advised him to plead guilty, stating that the maximum term for conspiracy was two years in Philadelphia, and if he pleaded guilty, he might get less. Holmes didn't hesitate and pled guilty. The judge took his plea and said he would sentence him at a later date. Later that day, Holmes and his counsel were called to an urgent meeting with the district attorney and his offices. They sat on opposite sides of a huge table in the middle of the office, where the district attorney proceeded to tell Holmes that he had decided to abandon the conspiracy case against Miss Peitzel, as she had been through enough already. He then went on to say, quote, It is strongly suspected, Holmes, that you have not only murdered Peitzel, but that you have killed the children. The best way to remove this suspicion is to produce the children at once. Now where are they? Where can I find them? Holmes replied in a very matter-of-fact manner, quote, The last time I saw Howard was in Detroit, Michigan. There I gave him to Miss Williams, who took him to Buffalo, New York, from which point she proceeded to Niagara Falls. He went on to say, I took Alice and Nellie to Toronto, Canada, where they remained for several days. At Toronto, I purchased railroad tickets for them, for Niagara Falls, put them on a train, and rode out to Toronto with them for a few miles, so that they would be assured they were on the right train. Before their departure, I prepared a telegram, which they should send me from the falls if they failed to meet Miss Williams and Howard, and I also carefully pinned in the dress of Alice $400 bills, so Miss Williams would be in funds to defray their expenses. He ended by saying, The plan was that Miss Williams would then take the children on a steamer to Liverpool, with London being their ultimate destination. Of course, we know that this is completely untrue. Miss Williams had disappeared, and he had killed the three children. 
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.